Welcome to Hoopleheads, a Deadwood podcast at Movie Fail. I'm Josh Rosenfield, here with Soren Howe. Today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 6, Something Very Expensive. Uh, this was a this was an episode, huh? <laughs> wow. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. this is uh, some stuff. Some stuff happens. Um, Deadwood, that comedy, that comedy show. you. We were talking. Remember last week when we were talking about how Deadwood is so funny <laughs> and it just makes me laugh. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Uh, so I've been waiting for this episode for some time. I thought it came later. <laughs> I knew about all this. Um, mm-hmm. Or let's put it this way. I remembered Carnage. I remember who did it. I didn't remember the specifics. Um, but I did, uh, but I really did think it was a couple episodes. There's a couple, there's an episode, a couple episodes from now that the name triggered something in my brain, but I don't want to say what episode it is now. Cause then maybe something else happens and I don't, <laughs> I don't want to spoil things accidentally without realizing what I'm spoiling. Um, so, uh, yeah, but anyway, so this is, uh, this has been a long time coming and, uh, yeah, I, d- I forgot this was the episode and mm-hmm. then it all just happened. <laughs> so, uh. So yeah, so this is a episode. This is by uh, Steve Schill. Um, yeah, who, who directed, directed episode two this uh, this season? Which, yeah, so wait, so we've talked about him. He was in the Last Temptation of Christ. I don't think we talked about that. I learned that today. Like the like as an actor. Like as an actor, he plays a centurion. <laughs> he, he must have lines because he's like has a credit. He's in that movie. <laughs> huh. Weird. Great movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe uh, it's funny like. I think, uh, well, actually, you know what I was looking for? Cause I was curious. There's a character randomly, um, at the bar when, uh, Steve gets yelled at in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I wonder if that's somebody famous or, or something. Um, because he's like a character we've never seen before and it doesn't seem to be of any important whatsoever, but I don't think it's anybody sp- special, but I started to think like this David Milch cameo in his things. I looked it up basically never. He's been in like one or two episodes of, like a couple of shows, but it's not like somebody who does that. So yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I guess uh, Steve Schill is, uh, is one of those guys. Hmm. Yeah, it's I I just was kind of taken aback by that weird fact. Um, but good for him. <laughs> I've got a good weird fact for the for the end of the episode. So oh great, we'll, we'll wrap it up with a good one too. Some trivia. That's right, I'm bringing the trivia this time, <laughs> audience, <laughs> instead of the audience providing the trivia that we don't know because we lack context. Anyway. So yeah, let's just let's just run down sort of the events of the episode. Like I said, some stuff happens. <laughs> um but the big stuff is there's this kind of running thread with Al in his office. He's been he's been literally propped up uh by Johnny and Dan <laughs> to to meet with a succession of people. First he meets with Trixie who gives him some info on what uh, Saul is up to. And what Saul right. is up to is meeting with Alma, who, in a hilarious turn of events, has gone to him first with, for her idea about opening a bank. Um, and then has the audacity to be like, well, I don't know why anyone would have a problem with you running a bank, because, you know, obviously I would. And it's like, you, <laughs> he, you were, he, he was your first thought, and you want to you wanna play it that way? All right, I see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. But... Um, there's clearly, even though she is spying for Al, some affection on Trixie's part for him. Like, right. you know, that's, that's nothing new, but it is, it is clear in that scene. Uh, he meets, yeah, it's, we, we, we can talk about that a bit more, but I think that, yeah, there's definitely some, um, hidden, I think, 
aspects to the relationship that she's not really divulging there. Yeah. Then he meets with um, Farnham, who tells him that he <laughs> immediately <laughs> sold him out at the first opportunity, but tries to insist that, of course, I was always really working for you. And he of says course. something to the effect of, like, look, I'm a born follower. <laughs> which, yeah, again... he's repeating that, which, uh, you know, again, more self-aware of Farnham, I suppose. Great. Yeah, great bit. Yeah. Um, he also meets with Wu, who uh, has draw. He gets... I think he draws the picture that Al is looking at to explain mm. what's going on. And he says, you got, and Al says, I got to meet with this guy from San Francisco, this San Francisco cocksucker. Mm. Um, and later he does do just that. And he offers him a lot of money to just to talk. And he turns him down, which makes Al suspicious about, uh, who he might be working for. And he also meets with Miss Isringhausen. Mm-hmm. Speaking of suspicions about who mm-hmm. someone's working for, Miss Isringhausen basically says, <laughs> it, it, which, by the way, we talked early in the season about how isn't it weird Sarah Paulson showing up and not really having much of a character? Like, I see her in this mm-hmm. scene and I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> that's why it's Sarah Paulson. Like, I had forgotten. You... I had forgotten the details of this. But yeah, I mean, I, I did. I did call it. <laughs> yeah, this is why you get her for, for this role, for sure. Uh, who says, oh, yeah, you know, um. Alma was was high on opiate and uh, opium, and she told me that she had her husband killed, and she got you to do it. You were you were her instrument. Um, yeah, and telling Al, lies to Al about Al, which really yeah, <laughs> great great plan. Um, and Al is pretty sure she's working for the Pinkertons, which she is not very keen to get in on. And he mm-hmm. he denies her offer to. Uh, to team up with her on this, on this, uh, swindle. Well, he, he delays it, but yeah. Delays it. You're right. He does. He says, can I, can I have a day to think about it? Mm-hmm. And that's it for Al. Um, there's a, and then that, that's sort of like, you know, a lot, a lot of Deadwood episodes this season are kind of, we'll have one big thread and then lots of little things kind of interspersed along that big string. Mm-hmm. So we'll get to kind of the big, big thing at the end, but there are other things such as, um, um, Bullock goes to see Steve who tried to lynch. Um, Oh God, what's his name? I, I just feel Sam fields and basically says, you we're, we're, who is by the way, a real person. Oh really? I mean, I I guess person who went by a, a numerous racial epithets in the town, but was like well known and, was in lived in Deadwood for some period of time, left, came back. But yeah, he was like a, he's like a real character in history. That's that, that should stop surprising me at some point. Cause I get that that's like the <laughs> thing about this show, but that is very cool. Um, I mean, they're not all, they're not all like historical characters. There's, there's some, and there's a lot of changing of things. Like for example, um, how the bank comes together, which they really, the, the, the bank as a, as an entity, it, it was a thing, but in terms of how it came together, obviously quite different, mostly because Alma was not a real person in history. So like all of that's quite different, but yeah. So, um, so there's things that are real and there, there are, there are creations of the show, like, like Alma, who is quite central to the show, but is in fact, uh, fabricated. Right. Um, so yeah, he goes to see Steve and basically says, you can't murder people. <laughs> you can't just do that no matter what mm-hmm. color they are. And Steve is, well, he uses him as an outlet. Yeah. To, uh, to, to to blow off some steam after the, the interaction with Saul. 
Right. Oh, that's right. We, we, I, I went right past that. You're right. That's beforehand. Um, oh God, how does that, go? oh, oh yeah. So, so Saul and, and Bullock meet and, and Saul admits that, yes, I, I met with Alma and obviously this is a sort of an open wound for Seth and they start arguing and they argue and, and Seth talks about the whore Trixie and mm-hmm. Saul says, you, you need to, you need to back off. This is, this is, uh, over the line. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then he storms out and he talks to goes to talk to Steve and hits him in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Steve is is let uh, <laughs> is then seen in uh, Hostetler's livery. <laughs> I can't believe this. This blew my mind. I couldn't believe yeah, this, this was happening. This is something something else. He is masturbating on Seth's horse. Yep. And saying like, well, you're lucky I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fuck you. And I was yeah. like, gee, oh my God. Um, <laughs> just, just a, just a crazy scene. And Hostetler ties him up and sits in front of him. And when Fields comes back, Hostetler says, yeah, I'm about to kill this guy. <laughs> and Fields says, look, how about this? How about we get him to sign to the statement that he fucked the sheriff's horse and with a promise that he won't bother us anymore. And Steve says, yep. okay, sure. And he does. Um, great scene. <laughs> I love also the signing of confessions on a chalkboard. Exactly. Yeah. The, which will stay forever. The chalkboard's yep. notable for their permanence. Um, yeah. <laughs> but Hey, you, you Even know. in this episode, they erase it like two, three, <laughs> like it's just, it's constant. You yeah. take, you take what you can get, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think that's pretty much everything except for the real big thing. The, yeah, the Psy Wolcott arc. So yeah, so Psy, first of all, the these Chinese prostitutes come in uh, into town in a literal cage, which is, yep. uh, you know, there's a lot of horrific stuff on this show. This whole that's, episode is that's pretty up, horrific. Yeah, the, the, the women coming in in a cage is, is up there. Even Doc Cochran is like, this is like some next level stuff. Yeah, and he and even he says to Al late in the episode, like, I I, I hope you are not involved with that. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Oof. So yes, yeah, Cy- I have to I have to just just to offer a little bit more historical context for this. Um, the real Al Swearingen was infamous for being a horrible human being. Like, oh, I way bet. worse than Al. Way worse than Al. I don't know that he had any redeeming qualities. Uh, he was like frequently like abused women, like hit them and stuff. And it was awful. Um, and uh, so like, it's funny that just as amoral as these characters seem to be, uh, David Milch has tried to give them as much humanity as possible. <laughs> and so like, I don't know that this would have raised an eyebrow in reality, but in this episode, in this universe where the characters are slightly better than they were in history, uh, yeah, the people reacted, uh, uh, you know, a bit differently in this case. But anyway, just wanted to throw that out there is that like, for us, this is, this is like the bare minimum response. Like, yeah, it's horrible. And it's horrible on a thousand levels. Uh, at least they acknowledge it to some degree. Um, but in reality, I, I mean, I don't know that there was an actual, you know, arrival of like, you know, women in a cage, um, at any point. But again, if it it's, had, it seems, what I've read, it, it seems, seems plausible. Like it 
it seems plausible, and I don't know that anyone would have cared. Yeah. So anyway, just a just a fun tidbit about our American history. I, that's what I call a fun <laughs> fact. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so Sai and Walcott kind of get into a fight because Sai is like the not that he cares about the women themselves, but he finds mm-hmm. the condition they are kept in uh, distasteful especially considering the clientele that he wants to cater to. And they get into a fight during which Sai says, well, I hear you have some uh, unsavory predilections yourself uh, as regards women. Yeah, last episode he's all subtle about it, and now he's just like, boom. He just comes right out and says it. Yeah, Sai not great at controlling himself when angered. Um, (laughs) No. Not one of his qualities. (laughs) And Wolkett is, uh, again, but again, Great performance. The way he plays oh, his so good in this. his good, his yeah. fury, he is he is clearly just he could not be more enraged. But he he never betrays it with his. He's not like Sai. I mean, he's, we'll get or, into or it like later. Seth. Yeah, who or you like know? Seth, right? Where, yeah, like Seth and Sai. The way that they like Seth, especially the way his jaw gets clenched real tight. Yeah, and you feel like he's just barely forcing the words out because he's so angry. Whereas, if you, if you look at the uh, the header photo, the the main photo, we chose <laughs> yes, it's so for good. The front page, of, uh, <laughs> movie fail from last uh, last episode. Um, I picked it from when he he stops uh, Fields from getting tarred any further, and uh, he's just in this like. His face is all twisted up and raised. It's very different than than um, yeah. Than Wolcott. Whereas Wolcott, like if you hear if you heard this conversation out of context, you might not get that he was angry. It's just in in what he says and in the very mm. just. Well, we'll talk about it later. Wolcott yeah. starts uh, walking down the thoroughfare, monologuing to himself, um, and he goes into Le Chez Ami, where he asks to see Doris, who he suspects has been you know correctly has been tipping off Sai. Yeah, he figures that out quickly. He's clearly very smart, but yeah, yeah he gets it immediately. Uh, Doris wasn't very subtle about it. To be fair, she made her she made herself conspicuous. Um, so this is not. I don't think he's necessarily riddling this great mystery out. Like she, no, sure, 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 and yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so he um, asks to see Doris and uh, murders her, and then asks. Well, we're not even sure what happens in the room until we see the aftermath. Like at first, it's like yeah, 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 can't be good. It can't be good. Yeah. Uh, then he asks to see Carrie and brings her in, and we'll talk. We'll get into this more. Um, his motivations in this moment, but he he asks to bring her in and shows her the body, and then basically says, "Well, I can't have any witnesses," and slits her throat. And then Joni, um, basically says, "I'm gonna. I get. I know what's happening in there. I'm going in there." And Maddie says. I've taken your gun and points it at her and says, get out. You cannot go in there. And this works out great for Maddie, who is there (laughs) when Wolcott comes out. And Maddie says, we will clean this up, but you need to. She's starting to lose her cool. Yeah, she she screams at him like, you're going to give me any money I want for the rest of my life. And Wolcott Mm -hmm. slits her throat as well. Um, Joni goes to get Cy and says, listen, (laughs) <laughs> you you need to go deal with this. And Sai immediately does. And then, what's an interesting moment, um, she asks the barman at Sai's place for any money he has and for a carriage. And at first you sort of think, oh, well, she's she's skipping town. What she's actually doing is... She's, be- skipping, t- she's skipping town or they're going to dispose of the bodies, which is was really, for me, that was the assumption I was making and it, I thought it was a, quite a clever switch 
when you realize what she's actually doing in that that scene later. Yeah, she's giving money. She's she's basically getting the other girls out of town and giving them the money. And, exactly. Uh, and Utter is the one who's helping them escape. Charlie's helping them escape. Right, and if you remember, she he has a relationship with Joni from when they were both. Um, when she was scouting out for the Chesame back in the day, when right. it seemed like such a lovely prospect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So yeah, then Sai uh, goes goes to Walken and basically says, "Yeah, we'll we'll clean it up. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll deal with it." And then and there is some tension between them. And the last thing, the where where the episode ends is Joni walking down the thoroughfare, where Al is standing, you know, once again looking out over the thoroughfare, and they sort of exchange a suggestive glance Mm -hmm. it does it does make you wonder you know are they going to have some sort of interactions in the future because i don't know what Joni's plan is at this point yeah um but yeah i mean i would say that uh there's some implication that with with Sai just in that moment that like well at first i was like oh he's going to defend her or deal with Wolcott or do something no of course it's not going to no. That. He just goes and and now he's like, now I do actually have the upper hand because you actually have gone beyond probably even what Hearst would approve of. Um, so now we're back in the we're, we're back in the, the 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 former relationship. Except now I have actual, you know, not blackmail per se, but now I you're forced to take my help because there's no one else here who's gonna cover for you really. Um. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, why don't we, uh, why don't we get into it? Yeah. So I'd love to talk about these owl scenes, um, just because like I said, they're kind of the backbone (laughs) of the episode and they are quite good. Yeah. They're, uh, they're, they're kind of funny. It's, it's funny to see Al trying to re, uh, reorient himself in the town with so much new information. Um, because he's been out of it for so long. Although, because he can't move and he's still kind of suffering from the aftermath of a stroke, he seems so cool about it it's like every time he hears this like pretty monumental information that george Hurst has interest in the town the pinkertons are here so now we have by the way we have two hugely influential influential extremely famous and historically quite nefarious <laughs> groups that the pinkertons and george Hurst, um with stakes in deadwood in this little camp in the middle of uh, uh in the middle of south dakota like, yeah wow um so and and he just sort of takes it all in stride because he can't move (laughs) yeah um so anyway yes al's uh al's uh little visits with his bell (laughs) um the the big one like most of them are kind of uh rehashing information we already know they're they're fun scenes but they are we're not really getting anything necessarily new the only one that we do is this scene with Miss Isringhausen, which we can kind of expand on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, the most interesting thing about this scene to me is this notion that Miss Isringhausen is working for someone, which I think we probably we didn't talk about that before. Looking back, it seems kind of obvious because we were kind of. I con- suggested she was a con artist. Which yeah, is that's what we not quite right. That's yeah. what we kind of assumed is that she was is that that's that was her her line, her line of business. Um, was just conning people. So this this implication that she is this not implication. She explicitly says she's working for someone with deep pockets, basically. And Al Al's assumption is that it's the Pinkertons because who who else is who else could have such deep pockets as the Pinkertons? Right. It was either that or Hearst or something, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's curious that, I mean, it's probably not Hearst because Hearst has his own plan to get the, uh, claims that he's right. Yeah, no, I don't think it's Hearst. I'm just saying that, that those are, as far as the characters in this world that we know have money, those are really the only two options. Yeah. And, and the way the, well, at what Al, Al's theory is that, uh, it's the Pinkertons who have been hired by, uh, Brom Garrett's family to get right, the, and- to get the money. To get and the we knew that that was a possibility last season. Actually, that had been talked about. Yeah, so yeah. So that's that's a that's a classic. Um, oh, that's a that's a callback to, to to some information that we had that there was sort of a looming threat on the horizon, um, and now they seem to have arrived, assuming that they are in fact. And I think we do get some confirmation later because Silas uh, Adams can't. Uh, uh, <laughs> he decides to sleep with her again. Um, but to her credit, she says she'll tell him everything, and she does seem to divulge all of the relevant information. Um, I mean, how could we know really what she has to say? But uh, it seems like she she's basically said as much as she knows to to Adams, um, who's not particularly happy for being made to look like uh, a fool. Um, but I mean, he knew that's what he would look like when he went to take her. That he, no one was making him take her to Al. Um, and I also have a separate question of like, why couldn't she just go see Al anyway? I don't. I mean, would she? It didn't seem like there was any particular. What is there like some sort of criterion for being able to sit in that? I mean, it's line? not my impression that Al has an open door policy. Okay, all right, maybe that's maybe that is the case. I don't know. Yeah, that that would that would make sense to me. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's possible that just anyone can go see him if they have a problem that that would make some amount of sense but it's not the uh uh like i said not the impression i've gotten so far that he just kind of lets anyone come in and talk to him you you have to mm-hmm. be you know trustworthy or connected business. to some extent yeah yeah i i guess also how you show up is different you know depends on the context as well so like if you if you want to show up having schemed your way in it probably makes you look slightly more valuable or interesting to him than if you just sort of waltz in yeah yeah maybe that was the the approach um but anyway yeah so uh we're not sure what she she seems to be there's a lot of people not really interested in there's a lot of big money being thrown around here and people not being interested in money right so uh, Al also meets with Lee, who isn't interested in twenty thousand dollars worth of gold. Yeah, um, which is another sort of similar situation where there's like big money being thrown, but people aren't particularly swayed by it. And by the way, twenty thousand dollars is three hundred eighty-four thousand today. You wow, yeah. For uh, for context, and just to throw some another, I, I looked this up, this up because I was just curious. Um, when uh, Maddie demands um, a hundred thousand from uh, Wolcott, that is, I think, th- three million, something like three million dollars, huh. and more. Uh, <laughs> what she says. Oh, sorry, more. no, it's two mil- two million today, and then plus the yeah, payments, as he said. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of money. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like that's how much. That's the kind of money that Hearst throws around anyway. But yeah, I don't know that he'd be super keen on paying two million. Uh, 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 Sorry, no, pounds, um, dollars uh, to some random person for the rest of the for the rest of her life. So, um, but yeah, it's good to consider the exchanges here because they're not, you know, twenty thousand doesn't seem like that much money, but actually, it's a lot of money for the time. Yeah. Um, well, actually, 
just just real quick, I, I want to interject because something I forgot about in the synopsis sure. is there's this little scene with Trixie and Ellsworth, which, by the way, what is one thing I love about this oh, show. Oh, yeah, that's an important scene. Well, one thing I love about this show is how it has such a broad ensemble and it can give us these sort of odd pairings now and then where you wouldn't expect mm. two characters to have a scene together. And, and Trixie and Ellsworth is one of them. I, where maybe they've had a scene before and I don't remember, but it's, it's I, not that I know. Of. Yeah. It's know. just a fun, it's just a fun little, like brief pairing, but it is a really important scene because <laughs> Ellsworth is kind of surmised by Alma's suspicious morning sickness that she's probably pregnant. And Trixie says to Ellsworth, well, you should do the right thing. Sort of implying you should marry her. Right. Which, Which is, is pretty obvious from the beginning, but he just doesn't seem to get it. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, uh, yeah, he's he's completely baffled by the just the idea of it. Which mm. I was as well, but again, it, it does... It, it makes some logical sense. It's not the direction I would ex- would have expected things to go, especially considering where the season started, but it, it I can see where that would that would make some sense. Yeah, I mean, there's exactly in terms of covering for um, for Alma and also it does make some sense. I mean, like he has been basically looking he's been basically doing what Brom, if he was even remotely a little bit use, useful, would have done. Um, but otherwise, uh, it is a bit strange as a concept. Then again, I mean, you know, Seth married his, uh, brother's widow again for similar reasons, not the same reasons, but like, it was all sort of for public appearance, basically not really for any sort of romantic reason. So, I mean, there is some context in, in that sense for, you know, sort of societal. Oh no. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not confused. I'm not confused in terms of the logic of the arrangement. It's just in terms of storytelling. It's not the, Mm. it's not where I would have expected the story to go. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Well, there you have it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I I can't really comment much further on this other than say it was, um, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting development in the story. And yeah, so, and, and it is, I had forgotten that, that Trixie was, is sort of engineering this, um, which shows even more that she's still looking after Alma's interests because she has literally nothing to gain from this. Right. Um, yeah. Trixie. So I yeah. I, I, I love Trixie. <laughs> my, one of my, great character. one of my um, favorite character types is the person who seems very uh, gruff and, uh, antisocial but they have a heart of gold and they really care about people and that's that's oh, very yeah. much Trixie. I think I said that last episode about uh, Al. <laughs> you might have. You might have actually, yeah. <laughs> that was that you you mentioned that. Uh, you absolutely Mann. did. You were talking about Michael Mann, yeah. Yes, you absolutely did say that. Um but yeah, that's that's how I see Trixie. No, yeah, no, I think that's definitely true and you you are getting that vibe. And that's why while we didn't get any obvious allusion to this, it is definitely implied that she likes Saul and that whatever she said to Al is to make Al feel better, not so much herself. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not really true to how she actually feels. Yeah. Um, let me think. Uh, I mean, like we said, the Al, uh, do you have anything else to say about the Al scenes? Cause I feel like, I think, I think that's mostly it. I thought the EB scene was very funny. Yeah. Um, when is an EB scene? Not very funny. Yeah. He's great. Um, and, uh, I liked when he, you know, he says we're exact exactly as before uh, in strength, and then he does that weird little cheering thing, and Al just 
I mean, Ian McShane just staring him down. <laughs> amazing. And then when he rings the bell and EB like doesn't understand that that means he should leave. <laughs> also, like, how do you not understand how, what the bell means at this point? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, there was one point. Um, there was uh, about Al. Um, they're sending Dan. Well, Johnny volunteers, but Dan is the one who's going to go to. Is he going to Yankton? Oh, oh no. Um Oh god. No, yeah, he is sending him somewhere. Oh shoot. To, I literally just watched the episode and I cannot remember for the life. It's not on the synopsis. It's not on the synopsis. Okay, well, anyway. He's going to I think he is going to Yankton. Maybe. Or something. Yeah, they, I think he is going to Yankton. Anyway, I think it's to you know, whatever, look after, look at, well, it's obviously to look after Al's interests, um, which I don't know that we'll get much more follow-up there. Of course, the thing is, we always see people go off and, like, do things elsewhere, and then we just hear about it, because yeah. we never leave Deadwood. So, <laughs> the closest we've ever left, to, gotten to leaving Deadwood is, like, being just on the outskirts of town, um, like when Seth uh, was, when Bullock returns to the town, or whatever. whatever Bullock returns to the Bullock. camp, yeah. Returns <laughs> to the camp, yeah, yeah, exactly. But generally, we don't get anything else in Deadwood, so I guess we'll find out uh, how how that uh, enterprise goes. But it was funny that Johnny volunteered, and immediately I was like, "I need you here." It's <laughs> so, like, yeah, yeah, Johnny's probably not the guy to look up, uh, right? Look out for you, not that he, you know, not out of bad intention, but he's not the brightest. Not that Dan's super bright, but you know, he can at least make decisions. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, so yeah, there's not much to say other than that. Also, um, we know that uh, Lee is working for Hearst, we know that, and Al has more or less surmised that because he turns down this incredibly large sum of money. Um, and uh, Wu is very concerned about his status <laughs> in the town uh, and is very invested in his relationship with Al. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're getting a bit more of that side of... Like, I know you're you're interested in that kind of that side of the camp. I hope we, we do get more of that. Um, but... Uh, that uh, relationship between Lee and Wu and Al, I think, um, I hope we'll see it develop a bit uh, as Hearst's plans, I guess, come to fruition in the town. Um, hopefully, not thrown. Well, I mean, I'm not. <laughs> all right, whatever. I we'll see what we'll see how those plans are affected by what uh, what Wilcott has decided to do um, in a fit of rage. So yeah, I think we should just yeah. Why don't we just do this? Yeah, let's, uh, woo, it's, um, this is the thing. Here's the thing. Um, this is not, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about this, the way that this plays out. Not, not what happens, but the way that it is depicted is very, it's very HBO. It's very Breaking Bad. It's very in your face. It's very, here is the violent, here is the violent act. Uh, you're going to watch it. You're going to see, mm. you're going to see it and you're going to see the blood. And it is, I can see the perspective that probably uh, is the reason we got it playing out this way, which is that is not what Deadwood is, has been about really to this point there. Ha we have seen violence and we have mm. seen blood, but we have not seen the kind of like horrific, uh, you know, uh, murder that, that, or the personal murder. Yeah, exactly. Like, like well, it's, it's, it feels much 
sadder and more vicious than anything Al's done. It is well, vicious. That Al's killed a bunch of people. Vicious is the word for it. Yeah, when Al when Al has had people killed, it is impersonal. Um, and normally, like you know, we've seen people killed, and it's comedic. <laughs> like that. Yeah. That is. It's not always that way, but it the show is kind of often operates on that axis where it's like, well, you know, we don't really, we don't really revel in, and I'm not saying this scene revels in the violence of it, but it is so, um, so vile and so graphic in a way that I just don't expect from this show. And I, what I, one thing here's the, and I I hate to do this. I think this is a dumb thing to do, but (laughs) had I directed this episode, (laughs) had I directed this episode, I would not have shown the first two murders at all. I would have had you just kind of have to assume what's happening in there. And maybe you just assume that he's horrifically beating them, but not necessarily killing them. But then he pulls out the razor. It seems like he didn't. Well, exactly. Yeah. He, he pulls out the razor and he slits Maddie's throat. And that's when you realize, holy shit, he's, he, he, he's been killing people. He's like, uh, he's like, um, uh, Jack the Ripper, basically. I mean, he's. Yeah, it's awful. Like I would have I would have kept it a little more I would have pulled back, I guess. Not out of and I'm not one of those people who's like, well, it's 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 I'm not a moralist in the area of depiction of violence. Like it's I I will watch the I will rewatch the John Wick movies every day of my life if I if I can. <laughs> um I love You're you're no Roger Ebert. Uh, no, certainly not. Um not not where this is concerned. But it's just I I I'm sure I definitely don't feel that way about about violence um i do think that there's a a question of violence um particularly against women especially in hbo shows that can be really uh over the line yeah um but so i mean why don't we contextualize this a bit i mean now that we have remember this predates game of thrones um, yeah but game of thrones is the obvious answer or or contemporaneous with the sopranos which was not also not a lot of violence against women in the sopranos with with at least one that i can remember notable exception but that was very well handled that i won't spoil Mm. yeah i mean uh i think yeah it's deadwood's a frustrating show because it it depicts women I, I'm glad that they introduced Alma as a fictional character into the show because otherwise it would literally, I think, mostly just be like prostitutes, um, which they found ways to give these characters agency and to give them things to do and to give them some sort of personality and purpose and things like that, um, which isn't to suggest that as a prostitute, you don't have those things anyway, but it does immediately put you into a subservient position in an already in a in an era when women are already subservient. Like it's just, it would have it would have been a really really bad look. Um, so at least you have Alma to help balance that out a bit, and now you've got other characters like Martha, and um, we didn't mention it, but uh, uh, Mary Stokes has just arrived yep. as a teacher. Yeah, um, and so you're getting at least some other sort of female characters. So you have that element. And then you have the fact that, you know, they are often, you know, mystery. One of the earliest episodes has a, um, uh, a patron of one of these um, saloons of, of the gem, I think, um, gets shot in the head, right? I think, is it, uh, is it Trixie who shoots him? I think so, yeah. 
Yeah, which is also I think I think we talked about it at the time is based on a real account of uh, somebody named Trixie who did shoot somebody in the head. Um, but anyway, um, and because I think he was he was he was getting violent, and so like it is a theme in this show to some some degree. But it really, I mean, for a show about this era and about these characters and historical characters who were much much worse, as I said, actually it doesn't do much of this. Um, and I think it does go to great pains to show that Woolcott is a special kind of evil, even for Deadwood. Um, and so there's that. And then there's also the fact that, like, if you compare this, like, how do you feel about this compared to any of uh, um, Ramsey Bolton scenes? In... That's, I'm glad you... You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because it, it is completely different. You're right. And I don't mean to suggest, like, I don't mean to suggest that I have any kind of problem with the way this like in any kind of you can you certainly can but I just, no I, and i'm not I mean, saying it's it, it would be wrong of me too but i like when you talk about like a ramsey bolton scene which is so gr- gratuitous and god i hate those awful just, just the, the worst, worst character the worst arc on any show it's just it's just cynical manipulative just gross and yeah. and by the way, like I, I should say, like I I wouldn't necess- I wouldn't mind if every wo- female character on the show was a prostitute because I don't think that's necessarily like if all of those characters were as interesting and fleshed out and well developed uh, as they are on this show, I, I think that would be okay. But I, I think it could be done. I just think that it gives them a lot more room to play with it. Al- well, certainly, having a character like Alma does. You're right. You're right about that. Mm. Um, and I like I and I think that. I don't even think that a show like we talk about Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks depicts quite a bit of violence against women. But that is a show that is it's about a lot of things. One of the top three things it's about probably is violence against women, that it is. Mm. That is what a lot of the work of David Lynch is concerned with, is that is that uh, type of violence and that type of trauma. Um, and I think that I, I, like I again, I don't have a problem with the way this scene plays out. It was surprising to me the brutality of it the level to which they depicted it and i think but i i i give deadwood the benefit of i'll finish up by saying i give deadwood the benefit of the doubt because (laughs) it is such a smart show because it uh does so well by its characters that you know uh, maddie we didn't spend a lot of time with her but she was not disposable she had a personality she had goals she had motivation she was a person she was a character and she was not just there to get killed in the same way that maybe doris and carrie were kind of even well, carrie had a personality too yeah um and even doris to some extent like these are these are to some extent yeah <laughs> to, <laughs> i would say doris the least of them to the yeah, tiniest definitely. possible extent like she did she she appears and you get some sense of who she is as a person. She is not just there in the way that characters on Game of Thrones will appear just to get their heads cut off. And isn't it shocking right. that a character with a name got their head cut off? What? <laughs> That's nuts. I can't believe a show killed a character. Like it matters when yeah. it matters when people die on Deadwood. And I think even if it is it when I say that I, the way that the scene plays out is not very tasteful, I'm kind of talking myself into this a little bit maybe, but I think it's <laughs> I think it's kind of okay or even good that it's not tasteful because this is not a Walcott is not a character who deserves uh, that treatment of his actions and maybe maybe the his victims do. But I also think, you know, this is going back to the what, what Twin Peaks does a little Twin Peaks can get her. There, there's a scene in season two of Twin Peaks that I can't even rewatch because it's just so horrifying. Uh 
what happens to a character. It is, it is so, uh, brutal and senseless and just horrific like you can't you watch it and you're like how is this airing on network television it's not graphic but it's just it's just horrific and Mm. this is equally horrific and it probably should be it should be that so what so you said you had thoughts about uh, the scene where carrie comes into the to the room yeah specifically my main thing is just i'm i was a little I think I'm coming to better understand now. I was a little confused at the time. Like, well, if he has a problem with witnesses, why did he invite her in in the first place? And obviously this is part of his, now that I think about it, it's just part of the, the play for him. He doesn't really care about her as a person. He needs to get it out more. He needs, he still has that rage and frustration. And he's like, well, I need to, I just need to kill another person. And it, it, it is part of kind of his sick, uh, inclination to wielding power over people, wielding power over women, that he brings her in just to murder her. Yeah, and you know, I have to say, there's two moments in this episode that again call back to this, this um, antipathy towards uh, money or towards um, how should I phrase it? towards reducing humanity to dollars and cents. Um, so when uh, si- when Adams is talking to uh, uh, Mrs. Ringhausen in, in, uh, when they're in bed after they've slept together again, um, he asks if she had anything to do with um, some famous event, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but basically where the Pinkertons, like led to a bunch of people getting killed it may be this no it it was it was different than the event that Hearst was involved with where a bunch of miners got killed but it's again a a theme that we keep seeing pop up in this in this series um or or this season specifically which is that there's a resentment in the town for people who are of course everyone's there to make their fortune for but for big money interests to come in and to make an extra buck put people's safety or lives at stake and you see this, obviously there's that allusion to whatever the Pinkertons did, and they did this a lot, like that's what they're famous for, right? They're union-busting, like incredibly anti-labor people. Um, but in this case, and it's where the name of the episode comes from, uh, when Maddie asks what, um, what uh, Wilcott's done, uh, and Maddie's beginning to you know lose it a bit because she's like, well, I've maybe I've, I've crossed the line or I better at least get paid out of this. Um, he just refers to it as something very expensive, uh, which is like, clearly you're beginning to understand this, how Wilcott sees the world, right? Like anything he does can just be paid off or paid for. Um, and these, these people dying is means very little to him. Like it's all just transactional and, um, the cost of business basically. And I think that that's, rebuked by the show i don't think that's something the show believes um but it is something that the bad guy in this case does believe um so yeah i mean i I like that as a theme and i think it's something that we're seeing a lot and i'm i'm happy that we're seeing it because i think it's a it's a good message (laughs) as these things go um in a overall quite a, a dark episode yeah it is interesting this this guy who is such a psychopath and he sees uh he kind of sees he sees everything transactionally. He sees everything in terms of like financially transactionally. Everything is 
everything he does is what transfer of money is going to arise from this. That's just how he sees everything. So when he murders two people, his only concern is how much money it's going to cost to make this go away. Just because that is the only way he can contextualize anything that happens to him or anything he does is through money. And it and it reflects on Hearst, so it means that he yeah. basically because he he Hearst. says earlier in the episode Hearst knows what I do to women. He doesn't oh, yep. care. Yep. And now, of course, the implication there is that he's violent towards women, not necessarily that he kills them. True. So is Hearst familiar with this particular side, or has he dealt with that in the past? It's not clear. We, we maybe that's what he's referring to. Um, not that again, this shouldn't matter morally in distinction, I suppose, but it's. Um, but yeah, so Hurst on one hand doesn't care what Wilcott does as long as he gets the end game, which is, you know, the claims or whatever. Um, and on the other end of things, uh, uh, Wilcott has found in Hurst basically a shield to do whatever he wants. Yep. Because he's like, well, as long as I'm, you know, able to pay it off, which I can because Hurst has basically unlimited money, I can behave <laughs> however I want and everyone just sort of has to go along with it. Um, and it's, yeah, it's an it's, it's insidious relationship. Yeah, it's, um, and it's, I don't know if we're going to see any consequences in the in the town for it. Like, uh, you know, that does raise quite. I don't know if you if you have any predictions on that, but I mean, what there has to be some end <laughs> to Wolcott's, uh, you know, whatever whatever he's doing. Like, it has to end at some point. Is he just going to leave, or is somebody going to do something about it? Right? Like, this is something that Seth still doesn't know about. Um, maybe Joni's going to go to Al and Al will do something about it. Is that the implication? Well, that's what I want to talk about this final shot, which to me indicates Mm -hmm. that Joni is, is going to go to Al or because it is a very, like I said, a very suggestive look, the two of them share. And I think the implicate to me, the implication is Joni acknowledges that she has sort of reached the limit with Cy. She knows that Cy isn't going to do what needs to be done in this case. Mm -hmm. From her perspective. Yeah, he's going to basically cover for Wolcott. Although he does cover for Joni to some extent, which is supposed something. That's that, true, um, he does. He's, he says, don't worry about Joni. She does, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, which, of course, isn't really true. It's the opposite of true. In this yeah. Case. She's <laughs> extremely disturbed and does want to do something about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, also, can we just reflect a bit about, like, Joni Stubbs' incredibly tragic existence on the show? Yeah, my God. N- nothing goes her way ever. Yeah, she finally gets out from under Psy. She starts an upscale establishment, I probably to get away from the, of course, the irony of, and the, again commentary um, about that moving away from like, like lower class, uh, like saloon life is going to somehow you know keep you away from violence and danger is nonsense, um, and she immediately finds even worse somehow. Um, it says uh, it says a me. Um, but also just, you know, she has this, her, she has her own place with Maddie. She has a partner who's not Psy. She's able to run this establishment and it lasts for like a week or something. I mean, it, I don't, it's not clear how long this is, but it's not very long. Um, and now basically, well, what is she going to, she's not going to still run the place, I assume. Um, she sends everyone away. So it seems like there's, you know, like her, her one escape plan is basically shot. So, you know, it, I don't know what she's going to do, but she, her whole plan is basically out the window. Yeah. I mean, it goes to, to, I mean, we talk about the role, the kind of place of women in, in Deadwood, in in the town and in the show. And I think it goes to show like even, even someone who has as much agency and as much uh, initiative as Joni 
and as much seeming control over her own destiny as Joni has before this episode, one one man comes in and in five minutes he destroys all of it. He burns it all to the ground. Yep, exactly. Um, which is a uh, you know as a as a lesson learned as a like a horrible lesson, but it is something that seems to have. Um, and implants it on Joni, and I don't know what she's going to do. I mean, to her credit, she immediately knew what to do in the moment, which was to get her, you know, her, the people were for out and keep them safe, which was a very, like, you know, it was a lot of solidarity. Obviously, she, she knows these women. She, um, you know, she, she knows the business and she knows, you know, where she came from. Um, so she's very familiar with this, uh, this life and you know has so has a lot of kinship with these people but she's also looking out for them it's a still a, quite a selfless selfless thing to do to think in that moment not for her own safety but for for their safety so that that's quite nice but it does still put her in this position where like okay great i got them out now what happens yeah um and yeah so maybe she will go to al but uh it's not it's not entirely clear and i hope she's able to get some sort of justice maybe she'll uh maybe we'll get a great moment where she like knocks uh woke out on the head or something (laughs) that's that seems a little hopeful but we'll see it's a little hopeful for deadwood i think Um, yeah and if it does happen it's not something i remember happening um or not remember having literally just throwing things out there but um yeah i mean who knows uh or maybe al will do something about it but it's clearly and the funny thing is like i don't even know how she would convince al to do something about it i guess well, she's like, in such a she's in such a tough position because Sai isn't going to help her, but the help that Sai can offer her dissipates the second she goes to Al. Like she burns that bridge. True, and it's not clear that, but it's also not clear like what what interest does Al have in helping Joni? Well, he has interest against Wolcott. He has interest against Wolcott generally and Hurst, you know, generally. But I don't know per se that that's going to. It's not, I, mean, I don't know, I, but I just like, it, you know, I, so he could leverage it in that way, but I don't know that he's going to be sympathetic per se in the, to her plight. Um, especially since the Shazami was in some, by some metric, you know, taking money away from the gem. So that's also an element of this that we, uh, that, you know, this, this is actually in some ways a good thing for Al. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe he will be sympathetic as we've seen. He does have a soft spot sometimes um, well i mean also like so, i think he can see yeah. Joni as a way into sai right like i Good think point yeah I, I, you know i don't know how inconspicuously Joni can uh become an agent for al against sai i think it's pretty obvious way i think her walking into the gym at all it's gonna she can't exactly she she can't exactly do that and not be seen and not have it be she obvious can't come what's in the going front on. door anyway yeah. exactly yeah so but i think from al's perspective yeah Joni could be very useful to him it's true. It's something I hadn't really thought about. So yeah, that could be uh, that could be an element. Um, I'd be quite honest to be quite honest with you. This is about as far as I remember Joni's storyline. So I don't know what happens next. That's why I was saying I really don't know what happens after this in terms of her arc. So it'll be a surprise for both of us, and then it'll happen. And I'll be like, oh yes, that's what happened. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I guess we'll just as a quick. Um, do you want to say anything about Mary Stokes arriving and this uh, this weird little subplot with Sai and the uh, the Deadwood Pioneer? Um, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> someone is really horny for Mary Stokes in this episode. Oh my gosh! Yep. Like, <laughs> uh, and that's 
<laughs> that's all I have to say about that. I think uh, Merrick Merrick's immediate like like he it's not even like he sees her like he know he knows that she's coming. You know she's arriving. And he meets her carriage like it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Which by the way I love that the carriage is seeing Jari out and also bringing yeah that was great Mary in. Um, but yeah, so, and then there's this, so Sai plans some sort of scheme to essentially threaten Merrick into just being compliant in the future when handed notices by the government. Uh, although I don't know that Sai's particularly seeing this, thinking this through because he's like, well, now you have no newspaper. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't help Sai either. Like nobody served by there being no newspaper. Yeah. Like, the amount of time it's going to take him to get back on the ground again is probably, like, monumental. Why would you do that? It's it's an odd plan. I don't fully understand it myself. Um, also, when he's talking, when Sai is talking to his underlings about this earlier in the episode, and he's basically, again, Sai's frustration with the uh, uh, lack of brightness of, of, oh, his, yeah. of his underlings, constantly hilarious. And it is so in this episode, but when he's imitating, they definitely turned them into like, because they like I think they had more personality in the first season. <laughs> now they're just like like uh, I'm trying to think of like classic henchman characters, but they're just like they're just they've kind of become quite two dimensional where they don't really have anything to do. They're, they're like Laurel and Hardy. They're just these bumbling a little oaths. bit, yeah, a little bit Laurel and Hardyish, yeah. They, yeah. I mean, they they kind of look like Laurel and Hardy a little bit, just their physiques. Um, yeah, that could be a I don't know, maybe that's a reference. I don't know. Um, <laughs> probably not, but when, when Sai is imitating Merrick and what Merrick is going to come to them with earlier in the episode, he's talking about, oh, and my vowel, my vowel tray was overturned. And I was like, oh, well, he's surely <laughs> making that up. <laughs> no one would right. ever say that. And then <laughs> later in the episode, Merrick is talking to Sai and he says exactly that. He says, exactly. someone messed up my vowel tray. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I was laughing. It's great. And, you know, I mean, it all plays out exactly as he said, although they end up not being involved at all, except for that they smashed up the... But they don't ever have to say the thing that Sai wanted them to say. Yeah. Um. But yeah. But yeah, I'm just like thinking back to the first season, though, that like, remember Leon was involved. He was a, a dope fiend. And then he um, he was like trying to start a race riot or something at Sai's request. Oh, yeah. There's a whole bunch of stuff he tried to do in the first season. And then like now he's just kind of like an idiot. <laughs> Which is, I don't know, it's kind of sad. I kind of liked having these weird characters. I guess they weren't as defined as his henchmen as they probably could have been now. They're, like, very clearly just go around breaking things for him, which, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that. And then, uh, yeah, and there's this... It, I don't know that there's much purpose to it, but the scene in the stable, uh, it's, um, it's a thing. Yeah, it's... Again, not the not the kind of place I expect Deadwood to go. In terms, it's of... a weird follow up to last episode's incredibly horrific. Which, by the way, I said, "Oh, this this episode's so horrific." Last episode was super horrific. Yeah, too. certainly, and it is. It is. Okay, yeah. So let's kind of let's break this down. Um, <laughs> what happened in the last episode is that Steve tried to lynch Fields. He tried to yeah. tar and feather tar and feather him. They did not get to the feathering, just the tar, and that was. The tarring is plenty on its own. Um, and by the way, I, I just want to say this. It has no bearing on anything, but people bring it up a lot um, for some reason because they can't just understand that Steve is just racist. 
Um, but he has the same last name as Fields. He's also he's Steve Fields. Oh, they have, they're not related, and people need to stop saying that. It's idiotic. Sorry, <laughs> no offense to people who think this is true, but it's 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 stupid. He doesn't need to have a personal vendetta against Fields in order to. That's be yeah, a that's racist. I've never heard that before. That's dumb. I saw it on the subreddit. I you know whoever posted that. I'm not trying to have a go at you. But no, yeah, oh like no God, offense, no no personal idiotic. Not personal. That that's, Fields is a pretty common name. It's yeah, it's Fields. And, and although the, and also the fact of them having considering the, same the time last name, period, he probably know. he probably got it from. He he might have gotten that name from uh you know some plantation owner who's related to Steve, but I don't I mean come on yeah anyway. So so yeah so yes, let's again continue. let's break out let's break down how this goes. In the last episode, Steve tried to lynch Fields. In this episode, Steve masturbates onto Seth's horse, and Hostetler catches him and ties him up, and uh, uh, Fields basically says, "Look." Uh, I'm black. I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to stop Hostetler from murdering you. Can you recognize right. in that a humanity that you have not previously seen? And Steve, I don't think at all genuinely says, yeah, no, sure. He totally. Just wants to get out. No, yeah, exactly. He doesn't, he doesn't mean any of this, but so I think it is, you know, we saw a lot of the kind of, we saw a lot something very realistic in terms of the time uh, in terms of, you know, you, you hesitate to even call them race relations, what happened last week. Mm. But in just the, the kind of the, the racial uh, dynamics of the time, yeah. something very realistic, something that happened all the time, something that continues to happen in this country. Um, right. Not tarring and feathering, but, you know, uh, racially motivated acts of violence. Yeah. And literal lynchings. I mean. Yeah. So, this you know, this, this uh, happens yeah. in, in America today. But. It, it the the follow up seems. We will see where this goes. It seems almost too optimistic, that the way that this goes down, um, it, it is a curious development. Uh, I can't imagine Steve will. No, he's not going to let this go. Like obviously, like I or, said, or that he would look. Now he actually has a reason to to be mad at them. Yeah, obviously he got punched by Seth, um, and I don't know. I guess his satisfaction was literal satisfaction with the horse um but and then he was tied up and his life was threatened um now of course you know it was a it was reciprocal it's not like this was out of the blue um but now he has a reason to be vengeful about it so i don't know if this is the last we've seen of steve fields but uh yeah i think it's likely that um this is not uh over with um of course, he may feel that, you know, they're going to keep that chalkboard as collateral. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Well, like, uh, this is way, this I don't is what's interesting. Saw the chalkboard, but like it, it, it barely said what it was supposed to say. It was, yeah. Was well, this is what's interesting about the use of a chalkboard, sort of thematically. Like this isn't, this doesn't mean anything. This isn't permanent. He can wipe if he yeah, gets the chance. True. He can wipe this away. Very um, true. And so this is what this is why I think this scene will only really work when we see the context of where this is going to go in terms of how these characters are going to relate. Cause right now it is a weirdly comedic come down from last week and a weirdly, it just, the tone is so strange in how this ends up resolving with these characters. And I can only imagine that, that this is some, something just, just terrible is going to happen down the line. 
It could be. I mean, it's also, I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say what the, when you're trying to in some way rebuke a character from a previous episode and say what they did was wrong or, or make some sort of commentary on it, you can have that character suffer, right? He could have, they could have had a scene where, you know, Field sneaks up on him in the dark and kills him or strangles him or something or any number of scenes could have happened like that. Or you could have had like a really cynical one where just he, well, not cynical. It's probably would have been quite accurate. It's a time where uh, Steve just gets to go about his daily life with absolutely no retribution whatsoever, which is also possible because he wasn't even arrested, you know, for all of Seth's, you know, bluster. He didn't actually arrest him or do anything with him. Um, yeah, Seth doesn't arrest a lot of people now that you mention it. Seth's no, the one person he arrested was a politician <laughs> who he was for his safety. Um, Seth's go-to move is just showing up the next day and saying, you stop it. Yeah. You you and, better and, or stop shooting a gun off a few times. Yeah. yeah, and you and you would better and you would never do it again. I swear to God, if you ever do it again, I'm gonna be so <laughs> mad. That's Seth's go-to move as sheriff, right? <laughs> um, which is uh, one approach to the law. Um, so yeah, so, you know what? You so know what? what you... If if police officers today did that more often than they killed or put people in prison, we might have a better world. That's true. He hasn't killed anyone for some time. So, you know, I suppose that's good. Um, but anyway, so so you have an option. So what do you do? Can you... So the, the, the way they seem to have gone with this is let's humiliate the character. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. Steve before was just, like, the working man in the town who's getting screwed over by the government and whatever. And, yeah, whatever, he's a racist, but... Uh, and now he just looks like an idiot, right? He was already... He looked like an idiot before, but now he just looks like... You know, he's, like, completely embarrassed and humiliated. And, like, nobody watching the show is like, yeah, I identify with that guy. You know what I mean? You can't. There are there are movies that I think are really good, like American History X. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I have. I think I have. Have I? Yeah. I don't With remember. Ed Norton. Probably. It was a long yeah. time ago. Probably. Anyway, it's a movie I really like, but there is a bit of an issue where, like, there are people who have seen that movie who have not quite gotten the message that the racists were the bad guys. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think that it, you shouldn't really make it ambiguous <laughs> whereas i don't think anyone could identify with steve after this episode so in that regard i mean unless you like horses i don't know <laughs> um by the way i will say which you know if that's what you're into listen I, yeah no judgment here leave that so no judgment um, well, yeah. um that's not true at all is it no we do a lot of judging <laughs> Um, yeah, there's a, uh, I'm not even going to mention, I'm going to leave that aside. <laughs> um, um, but I will say just as a funny aside, I was watching this and I've seen this intro, uh, the intro to Deadwood a thousand times now. Um, also as many people pointed out, wondering what the intro to, uh, the movie is going to look like. Ooh, if it's going to use the same theme and stuff. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. On, on, on an ongoing question. Um, the opening <laughs> sequence, I was thinking to myself and I had no idea what happened this episode. I was like, wow, the ho- there's so many horses in this, or there's like the horses, like the focus of the entire opening sequence, and there's almost no horses in Deadwood, like that's in true. the show. <laughs> they just arrive, and then they leave, and that's basically it. And then we have this scene <laughs> with the horse just answering my question, and I was like, oh, okay. That makes, sense. Yeah. makes sense that you'd focus on that. That's, um, that's the secret subtext of the opening titles. <laughs> yeah. Uh... So I think we've we've covered the whole episode. That's 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 about all I wanted to say. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I before you talk about uh, or just mention next week's episode, I wanted to give some context. So first of all, 
the credit song. I, you, I don't think you listen into the credits, but Not the credit really. songs are always so good in Deadwood. And this song is called, I encourage you to listen to it, um, listeners and also Josh, um, which is uh, Pretty Polly, uh, which is by uh, Hilary Burns. Um, that's H-I-L-A-R-I-E. B-U-R-H-A-N-S. Um, it's a great song. It's an old song from not as far back as Deadwood, but the earliest, I think, known recordings are, I think it's even, might even be like English. It's not even necessarily American, but there are early American recordings. Anyway, it goes back to like the 20s-ish era. And um, let me read you. So, was, so this version was recorded for this episode of Deadwood. And um, it's a great cover. Uh, but I'll just read you the, the the summary of the song. And bear in mind, the American version doesn't include all the elements um, of the song. So just it's so what I'm saying now isn't necessarily what's up, but it is the you're supposed to understand the context of the song because I think it is relevant to the episode. And then I'll give you one other tidbit about it. So this is what the song's about. This is straight out of Wikipedia. Um, the song is a murder ballad telling of uh, telling of a young woman lured into the forest where she is killed and buried at a shallow grave. Many variants of the story have the villain as a ship's carpenter who promises to marry Polly but murders her when she becomes pregnant. Uh, when he goes back to sea, he, uh, either he is haunted by her ghost, confesses to the murder, goes mad and dies, or the ship will not sail. He denies the murder and he's ripped to pieces by her ghost. Um, huh. So. <laughs> cool. Um yeah, so that's quite cool. I already liked the song. I didn't know this context to the song. I decided to look it up because I was curious and then learned that, again, this was recorded specifically for the episode. But again, at least according to Wikipedia. Um, and I, uh, it's on Spotify, so you can check it out after you listen to Hoopleheads. Um, and uh, yeah, and the last thing is I'll just say, and it's unfortunately tainted by the fact that, well, we knew, but also we really know now that Kevin Spacey is a huge terrible person hugely terrible person but um in another show where uh women uh are murdered um in season two of uh house of cards there's a scene where and i didn't recognize the song because of the way he's sort of sprecken singing it he's not really singing he's just sort of saying it um uh the main character was frank uh, underwood uh, sings uh, a version of Pretty Polly there as well. Um, so it's kind of become like a go-to for like, women are going to die. But interestingly, again, there's this version of the song, which I don't know if it's the version, I don't know what the lyrics are specifically to this one, um, uh, where the ghost gets retribution and uh, rips apart the uh, the murderer. So, I don't know, does it foreshadow anything? Let's see. Who knows? Interesting. Yeah. I do recommend checking out the songs at the end of every Deadwood episode. If you if you don't do that already, there's so many good ones. They choose f- amazing songs for. I don't know who's in charge of that, but they're awesome. Um, so definitely give that a listen. All right. So next week, two incredible things. <laughs> First of okay. all, the title of next week's episode, EB was left out. Oh, great. So this is going to be a bunch of EB scenes, which is going to make Josh so happy. Oh, my God. Just, just, I'm so excited. Second reason I'm excited. <laughs> this episode is directed by Michael Amareda. Who's that? Uh, he is a very good director of film, primarily. Oh. He, the the thing he, most people know him for is the 2000 version of Hamlet with Ethan Hawke. Okay, okay. And he made a... 
phenomenal movie that if you have the time before we next record, go watch the movie Experimenter from 2015. It is a movie. Oh. It is a movie about uh, Stanley Milgram, and it is yes, yeah, the Milgram experiment. I, you wrote a review actually for Movie Fail. I will. Was it for Movie Fail? Yeah. Oh my god. You did. Oh my god, yeah. it's such a good movie. Definitely check it out. Um. And he directed an episode of Deadwood, I guess, which is really cool. Uh, he's a great director. We'll talk about cool. that next well, week, then, though. Yeah, and you're not even leading that episode. Either, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, definitely, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see if I can check out the experimenter. But either way, I'm, I'm excited now. I didn't, I didn't realize that was a, uh, was contextualized. And also, um, is he, is the experiment? The experimenter's not funny though, right? It, it's not a comedy. It does. I do recall a couple moments that are amusing. I would say. Um, okay, maybe I should. I suspect I don't know, but I suspect this episode will be funny. I mean, yeah, the Mil- <laughs> this episode, the Milgram experiment, if you know what it is, not a laugh riot. Um, not funny. No, no, no. But yeah, it, it's a, it's a. I should rewatch it. Actually, it's a great, great movie. Yeah, maybe you'll see some uh, some signs of uh, some overlap. Um, one thing we do know from HBO shows, as much as they try and keep themselves sort of consistent within the the series is that you do occasionally get a director in a in a series even one that's as dry as game of thrones often is you know um, we were just talking before the the show about uh, miguel sapochnik who like he shows up and just he's like yeah i'm doing game of thrones my way and it's (laughs) and it's like it's just nothing like what you're doing and it's going to be amazing and then you can go back to doing whatever you're doing um so you do occasionally get directors coming in now i will say that unlike game of thrones i think deadwood has rarely had any bad directors um some perhaps more pedestrian but i think they really keep things quite consistent um but there is room i think for some uh, creative experiments (laughs) the experimenter um so hopefully we'll we'll see some of that either way though i'm i'm excited to see uh see what next week's episode brings all right i'll talk to you then Thank you.